you chose the wrong side. summer i like the summer because we get to talk about movies i think there's only one person in the room maybe two people in the room that that kind of cringe a little bit when it comes time and that's bill and lisa huey because they always have to make the popcorn for us and i appreciate them doing that and uh they're great for doing it and actually bill told me i believe it was friday night he said i'm going on vacation until september 10th and so um so i might need to recruit somebody else next week to do the uh, the popcorn but no i'm i like this this time of year i like being able to do this i love watching movies, and uh, to me, movies are very much a modern-day parable. I think about when Jesus spoke in parables back uh, in his time, and he was walking on the earth, and he's talking to people. If you look at the way the parables are written, they're written about agriculture, they're written about um, the wheat, they're written about goats, they're written about all these different kinds of things that these people they were walking the earth at the time related to. The people that he was talking to, they related to those things, and they could see the picture. And to me, movies are very much that way. And, and you may say, well, movies are written by people who aren't Christians. So how can you relate that? And the way I see it is that God has written a story on every single one of our hearts. And in that story, uh, movies are a great way to tell that story. And you see so many things. If, if a movie has a point to it, and there are some out there that will waste two hours of your life with absolutely no point whatsoever. But if a movie has a point to it, you have to look at it from a filter and say, what is it that it's trying to say? And most of the time, you can look and find something biblical within it. Whether it be the, the hero or the redemption or whatever it might be in it, you'll see that. And today's movie, Captain America Civil War, really is no different. And as we dive into to Civil War, we're going to, uh, we're going to be taking a look at exactly that. Now, I'm going to let you know something. I, I don't spoil the movies for you. So if you come and you're like, I haven't seen it yet, and that's why people didn't come today. They didn't know that. Um, that I'm not going to spoil Civil, Civil War for them. They can go see it whenever. But as we dive into these movies, I, I don't want to be a spoiler, but I do want to point out some of the things. And, and I would love for you, when you do go see movies, or if you rent it when it comes out, to, to look at it from a perspective that's just a little bit different. And what is God trying to say to us? And I see this, and, and I see this movie, The, the Civil War, and, and um, if, if you notice in the trailer, it really is Captain America versus Iron Man. And they, they build a team that is in the middle of, of this giant fight. And the, the thing is, is that they're fighting amongst each other. And we see this in the, in the Civil War playing itself out. And, and, uh, and by definition, the word Civil War is to have two groups that oppose each other within the same country. Or two groups that oppose each other within the same team. And, and there's a division that takes place. And, and by the definition of the word division, or even just breaking down the word division, die, which is the, the D-I up front, means two. And vision is what you see. So there are two things being seen. And that's where division comes from. And you see this taking place uh, so often. And the thing is, is, is when we look back to even pre-revolutionary war times, there was a, a phrase that came out as a part of a song. It's been quoted by most presidents along the way. But the whole thing is, is united we stand, divided we fall. And it's a challenge for us to, to be united and to, to be a part of it all. But there's so many things that take place that... that 
we should be standing together. We should be working together. We should be on the same team that we end up having two different visions, two different things that we see, two different groups that are fighting against each other. And the thing is, in the movie that I thought about, you have all of these superheroes. And there's this epic battle that takes place and it is so fun to watch and I love explosions and I love CGI and all the the ways they make the computer generated images take place and and you see all of that going on but there's one problem with it it's they're fighting each other they're not fighting the bad guy they're fighting it out and they're duking it out and they're wasting all their time and all their energy and all their effort on what each other Instead of fighting against. And now we see that and I say, you know, the whole idea of of the fight is, is that's where the divided we fall happens. Because we waste so much time and so much effort on each other that we're not actually focusing on the real problem. We're distracted. And so as we dive into today, I want to look at that. I mean, the, the advertisement said it itself. Divided, we fall. Now, as we look at that, I say, well, how do we look at that in the church? How do we look at the fact that divided we fall falls into the church? How can that be spoken to us? And I look at it from three different ways within the church. There's a global level of civil war. There's a local level of civil war. And there's a personal level of civil war. And there's so many different ways we can dive into this. But if you look at it from the global level, I've mentioned this before, but you realize there are 40,000 different types of denominations They call themselves Christian. 40,000. And you have to look at it and say, okay, well, you have Baptists. But within the Baptists, you have the Southern, you have the Northern, you have the American, you have the General Association of Regular, you have the Conservative, you have the Independent. And those are the ones I can just name really quick. Why? Because we have this global separation that somehow, some way, we've been divided because we don't see things the same way. Whatever it might be. Then you go down to the local, and the local is more within the church itself. Not the global church, but within the church. You see so many churches that get divided. And because they're divided, because somebody within the church and somebody else within the church, they both have two visions, and they start going separate ways, and those churches have a tendency to split. There's an old joke that says if you have two Baptists in a room, you're going to have at least three opinions. And and that's the the reality of it all. With Christians, we have this idea that, that what we feel Or what we think matters more than what God actually has told us to do. And then you have the local level, or sorry, the the, the personal level. And as we see this personal level play itself out, uh, I'm not sure if you remember watching Tom and Jerry as a a kid or not. I I love Tom and Jerry, but one of the things I always remember was when Tom was getting ready to do something, he'd have the angel Tom sit on his shoulder over here and the demon Tom sit on his shoulder, and they would argue it out and have this battle. Well, guess what? We do that every day. Don't we have that? You know, we're singing this song, I lay me down, I'm not my own, I belong to you alone. As we sing that and we, we have those words come out of our mouth, how difficult is it for us to actually do that? How often do we battle ourselves and say, no, there's something more in this. And so there's this, there's this tearing that takes place. And the thing is, the Bible mentions each one of these things, the, the global level, the local level, and the, the personal level where we are battling it out. And struggling through things. And this division is tearing us apart. This, this global division, this local division, this personal division. And, and that, that division to people outside of the church has a tendency to define us. 
They look at us as divided. When in reality, we're supposed to be united. We're supposed to be on the same team. We're supposed to be working together. As a matter of fact, before Jesus left the earth, in John chapter 17, he actually praised that for us. He's talking to God in John chapter 17. He says this in verse 9. I am praying for them. Them is us. I am not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be what? Not 40,000, one, even as we are one. See, it's all about unity. Unity is what Jesus is praying for. He wants that in us, but yet we have this hard time of actually following through that. If you take a quick look through the Scriptures, if you just Google unity within the Scriptures, you'll find 19 different passages in the Scriptures that talk about unity. A lot of the times, it's Paul writing to some church. Most of the letters that we read in the Bible, like Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians and Romans, are all written to a church, and most of them have to do with some sort of disunity. So it's not something new that we're dealing with today, but as you look at it, and as you see these 19, I just picked out a couple of verses, and we see this. He's trying to challenge the church at Corinth. I appeal to you, verse one, or sorry, verse 10 of chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Now this doesn't mean agree in the fact of, of uh, unanimous decision that everything you know we're going to disagree on things but what are we supposed to agree on christ the one central thing that is what we're supposed to agree on so that you all agree that there be no divisions among you that you be united in the same mind and same judgment that we're together in that ephesians chapter 4 also talks about it it says there is one check this out in the verse verse uh, the first verse of ephesians chapter 4 i therefore a prisoner of the lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the what? The unity of the Spirit. The unity that's found in the Spirit and in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there's these divisions that are taking place. There's these pulling apart, and he's saying, no, it's about the one. It's about unity. Stop the civil war. Stop the battles. Colossians 3, 13 and 14 says, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against each other, isn't that really where the divisions begin? Somebody has a complaint? Forgive each other. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I'm not a singer. The reason why I stand back in the back and I sing the songs is so you guys don't get thrown off, okay? I'm just not a good singer. But I do know what harmony is. And I know when things aren't in harmony as well. I I can tell when the the four-part harmony isn't in the four parts that it's supposed to be. I I have a good enough ear to hear that. Now, that's my problem that that I can't get into that. But I understand what harmony is. And he says, we need to be together in harmony. We have to understand that we need to be 
united, that we need to be unified. Now, that doesn't mean uniform. We don't all have to dress alike. We don't all have to act alike. We don't all have to talk alike. We don't all have to, to, to think the exact same things. He's not saying be uniform, but he is saying being unified. And the word unified is described to be part of a unit. Now, I wasn't in the military, but I've seen a lot of military movies. And I've heard a lot of people talk there in the military. Guess what there isn't in the military? Everybody doing the same thing. Everybody has their job to do. And when they do their job, it works together as a team to accomplish the task. Well, God's called us to be in his army. And to to walk through these things, to be in harmony. And we say, well, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to look at this? How are we supposed to take this as a global church, as a local church, as an individual? How do we not let these things tear us apart? Which one should we talk about today? I told Christy, I said, I have no idea which way to go. Should I talk about the the personal level and really dive into James chapter 4? Should I talk about the the global level and talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Should we go on the the local level and really tie these things in and how should I go about it? And the answer is, is yes. And so I got a lot of information, so I'm going to talk really fast today. Actually, one of the guys came to me last night and said, you know, you probably could have done like three full sermons on Civil War. And I'm like, yeah, but there's so many other movies. So we have to get through this, and we're going to roll through it. So what I need you to do is I need you to open up the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I've already read to you verse 10 of chapter 1, and as you may or may not know, when these things were written, Paul didn't sit down and say, all right, chapter 1, verse 1, and start writing. What he did is he wrote a letter. Later on down the road, we broke it up so we'd have a chance to be able to do it. So in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at four truths on how to overcome division because the church at Corinth had some issues, had some same issues that we deal with today. And we see it play itself out, and we see this idea of how to be united. And the first thing that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, 3, verse 18, is Paul writes and says, let no one deceive himself. We're going to get to that verse here in just a second, but what he is saying there is we need to be united by having a proper vision and view upon ourselves. That's where it starts at. That's where it starts at. That's why I say when we uh, read that verse or we sing that verse of lay me down. Say, I'm not my own. That's good. You need to hold on to that. But do we live like that? How often do we wake up in this morning and say, God, I lay me down. I'm not my own. I am yours and yours alone. Do with what you want with me. Anybody wake up that way this morning? I didn't. That was what my alarm did. Uh, That was actually my alarm song this morning. I snoozed it and went, oh. I gotta go to church. <laughs> that was, I, I am being as serious and honest as possible. And I think about that and I go, oh, you know, this is where it's at. There's a battle that is inside each and every one of us, and that's the first place where it starts at. Paul knew it. In Romans chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, this is what he says For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. At the end of the day, have you ever said that to yourself? Oh, I knew I shouldn't have, but I did. Why did I do that again? And Paul's battling that out in himself. We look at Paul as some spiritual giant, and he had some amazing inspiration. He met Jesus face to face and all these things, but guess what? 
He was still human. He still had struggles, just like we do. And he's writing that out. In James chapter 4, James is writing about it as well, also to the church who is struggling with their own personal things. He says this in James chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights and what causes civil war among you? And he says this, is it not this? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Isn't there a battle inside of your heart, inside of your mind? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on you, excuse me, your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I see that, and I see it play itself out, and Paul tells right there in that, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. If you're anyone among you, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. See, Paul was dealing with very intelligent people. The church at Corinth, the city of Corinth was a town of about 700,000 people. And you look at Albuquerque and Rio Rancho, that's probably close to 700,000 in that general vicinity. So you got to think it's something about our same size of where we live at right now. And you see that, and it, it's an amazing thing at the time, and it was in, at the middle of a crossroads for, for trade and for, for new ideas coming in. It was kind of like the New York City kind of mentality of the day. And the church was experiencing what society was giving. And church was kind of absorbing in some of the societal things that were going on. And you have to imagine, there was probably some amazing Greek philosophy that was being spoken and taken in. And these people were getting educated by it. And they were taking that education and and all the things that went with it. And they started to implement it in the church. Rather than relying on God, they thought they were smarter than him. And they started to make their own decisions. We don't deal with that. I understand that. But we're looking back on the past. Or maybe we do deal with it. Maybe we deal with it every day. And the temptation was given in to to think of themselves more wise. And they were being deceived by themselves on what was important and which way to go with this. As a matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And he keeps using the word fool. We saw the word fool there, and the word fool really means in all of this, a person that isn't just suffering in a mental ability. It was a person who is dead set stubborn against what God would do and choosing themselves instead. And we see that play itself out here that the church at Corinth thought themselves to be wise. And you know what? By the standard of the world, they were. But we even see it today. And one of the things I think I have the biggest problem with within the church itself is how business-oriented the church has gotten. And I understand business meetings, and I understand the laws, and I understand all that stuff like that. But really, what business are we supposed to be about? The business of the church is to go and share the gospel. That is our business. But sometimes we let everything else come in because we have our wisdom instead of God's. And we push God away in that. See, the major problem at Corinth and the first problem that Paul addresses is this, is that they had received the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. 
They had had the Holy Spirit come in, and they began to walk with him, but then they began to grow in their own knowledge and say, you know what, I can do this Christian life without God. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are like that, even still today. I can do this Christian life without God. I don't need his help. I am smart enough. I've got this thing figured out. God doesn't really know me that well anyway. He's way up there. I'm down here. I know myself. And we play that out, and we start thinking that, and we start leading without the help of God. And you know, We begin over time to drift away from him. And we start to think, you know what, I know what is going on. You know, I had a meeting this week and had an opportunity to talk with, with a, a, a former student. And, and in the process of talking to him, he was involved in everything. And everything the church had going for it, and he kind of stepped away. And in the process of talking to him, some things had happened. Uh, his grandmother had passed away by taking her own life, actually. And he just couldn't grasp why God would let something like that happen. And so he said, you know what, God obviously doesn't know when I do. And he pushed God away. And I enjoy having conversations like that because I enjoy hearing uh, how people's stories come together and have a chance to share with them about who Jesus really is, that you are not smarter, that God does have a plan. Sometimes that plan isn't what we want. But he does have a plan. He's guiding, he's directing, he's shaping, and he's molding. And we have to be okay with that. That people will make their own decisions, but God can be bigger and is bigger than those situations to make it what he would have us be. So we need to have a proper vision of ourselves because sometimes we forget who God is. And we think somehow more highly of ourselves than we ought. We have to lay ourselves down so we need to understand who we aren't or maybe who we really are and understand who God is. So that's the second thing we have to do for to be united in this mission is understand and have a proper vision of God. Have a proper vision of God. See, the the Corinthian church had forgotten that Jesus was the foundation of the church. I mean, Jesus is the head. His blood, his resurrection, him living, dying, raising again. That is why the church exists. The church doesn't exist for any other purpose but to take Jesus' life burial, resurrection, and take it out to the world and share with them. That, that is why we exist. That is why we are here. And, and they had missed it. You know what? There's oftentimes on a Sunday morning, oftentimes on a Saturday night, oftentimes during the week that we miss that too. And this war battles inside of us, and you pick it up in verse 20, it says, and again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm sorry. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. See, we have to understand who God is, that he really is over the umbrella at all. See, the problem, the reason why Paul is even writing this in chapter 3 is if you go back to verse 12 of chapter 1, there's this argument that's taking place within the church. And the argument isn't about being a follower of Christ. It's about being a follower of either Paul or Apollos or Cephas. And Cephas is is Peter. And saying, well, he's the one that led me to the Lord. He's the one that baptized me. And I'm following them. And there was these three divisions that were taking place. And, And Paul himself says, hey, it's not about me. 
It's not about men. It's about Jesus Christ and God. It's, it's a much bigger umbrella. You're focusing on the little branches here. We're talking about the whole tree. That's what we're looking at here. And we're, we're backwards and we're missing what it's all about. And he says this. He says, what it means that each one of you say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Question mark. Was Paul crucified for you? Question mark. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Question mark. No, you weren't. It's all about Jesus. And we have to not miss that. We forget why we exist. We have an improper view of, of what it's about. And whenever there's division in the church, it's because somebody has become who they think is the Apollos, or somebody's become who they think is the Paul, or somebody's become the, the, the Peter, and they're rising themselves up instead of lifting up Christ. We have the wrong view of who God is. We think of ourselves more highly than him, and it begins to create division. It begins to create two different views of who's in charge, when really we need to understand that it is Christ. See, when the Holy Spirit's in control, there's always unity. And that's why he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, to say there's one body, there's one life, there's one baptism, there's one God. There's, it's because when we understand that, and that unity in the Spirit changes everything. I think that people get messed up when we take our eyes off of God and place it on humans. And it, it still happens today. We, we go back, you can look back into the Old Testament when Israel demanded a human king. That's when everything went bad for them. And, and we look at it today. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that I was talking with a group of guys you know, I, I've told you before, we're about 16 months out from, from being done in here and figure out where to go next. And I was talking to some people about buildings and such and, and uh, you know, should we purchase, should we lease? All these questions were coming up and I was talking to this group of guys and, and they said, yeah, we, we, when we went through and we did our big building loan for our, for our church, um, we actually had to take out an insurance policy on the pastor. And I said, well, explain to me why you had to do that. And they said, well, um, the bank, now this is the bank, this is outside the church, this is outside of Christianity. The bank saw this and realized that, that the church is probably more driven by a personality than it is by Jesus. And they said, we need to take, just in case something happens to our pastor, that the bank's loan is secure, that it will still get paid off. And I said, are, are you kidding? And they said, no, that's the way it is. And in, in reality, they said, it, it, it shows itself on a Sunday morning that if that pastor happens to not be speaking after the music's over and somebody else gets up to speak, people actually get up and leave. And I said, okay. So it still happens today. We still elevate men above Jesus Christ. Because really, it doesn't matter who is speaking, does it? As long as the message of Jesus is coming out. And that we are being challenged by God to go. We need to realize who we are or who we aren't. And we need to realize who God is. That's the way we can be united. The third thing we can do is this. We can be united when we have a proper view of God's servants. Of God's leadership. Of even ourselves as God's servants. See, if you go to the next chapter over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, this is what he says. Uh, Paul says, this is how one should regard us. The leadership, the Paul, the Apollos, the, the Cephas, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. See, instead of choosing sides behind these leaders, he says, I want you to, to view these leaders. I want you to see these leaders. I want you to, to understand who they are. That, that yes, they may be leaders, but they are not the ultimate leader. 
As a matter of fact, as he's writing that, he says, you know, don't give us too much praise. So he uses a couple of words in those two verses there to describe himself. And the first one is, is servant. And it actually means to be a subordinate under authority. A leader, but a subordinate, excuse me, a, a leader with a subordinate under authority. Similar to a military ranking. You have a high-ranking officer, but if there's somebody over them, they may be in charge of some people, but there's also somebody over them giving them the orders. And that's what he's saying. God, Jesus Christ, is over us, and he's giving us the orders to take out. We are merely servants. The second word he uses in that verse 1 of chapter 4 is the word steward. And when it means steward, that word means the manager of a household. Now, there's a difference between being a manager and being an owner. And in this, he is saying, we are not the owners. God is the owner. This is God's house. However, we are called to manage it. We are called to take ownership in it because we want to see it succeed. And that's what he's saying. He said, guys, you have to understand, it's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. It's about Jesus Christ. And he's giving us responsibility, and that responsibility is to manage his house. And that is what we are doing. And in managing that house, it's us taking his message out. And we see that take place. And and as the owner of the church, Jesus puts leadership in place for direction. And he calls those leaders to be another word that is mentioned in there, and that is faithful. See, they've been given a job, and he's asked them to be faithful with it. He's asked them to take it that next step. And what are we supposed to be faithful to? How is it we're supposed to be faithful? Well, there's a couple things. First, faithful to him and realizing that he is in charge and we are not. And you know what? Sometimes it is very difficult to lay ourselves down and understand that. And once again, that's where that civil war comes. The civil war comes on the, on the, the personal level, and then it makes its way up to the local level, and then it makes its way up to the global level, all starting here because we are not choosing to be faithful to God. The second thing is we need to be faithful to God's mission. What is God's mission? Is his mission to have 40,000 denominations? Was that what he called us to? Or did he call us to go and change the world? To take the message that he has given us to be messengers, to go and make disciples. That's what he's called us to do. You know what? Uh, we had a discussion this week. Um, uh, First Baptist Rio Rancho hired their, their new youth pastor this week. And we were talking a little bit about it. And I said, you know, I, I don't think that I could go back into youth ministry. And I said, and the reason why I don't think I could go back into youth ministry is one, youth are very energetic, and I don't think I have the energy to keep up with them. But, but the second thing is, is this. We live in a very entertainment-driven culture. Very entertainment-driven culture. And the, the church, just like the church at Corinth, it absorbed some of the philosophies that were out there. The church of America has absorbed the idea of entertaining. And I understand you have to bring people in to have them hear the message. At least that's the thinking there is. So we need to entertain and do this giant thing. And, and as a youth pastor, man, you got a lot of competition to go against. I mean, movie theaters are pretty impressive. There's some bigger churches out there that do some really impressive entertaining. But I don't remember Jesus ever saying, go and entertain the flock. Go and entertain the masses. He said, go and make disciples. And making disciples isn't easy. It's not fast. And it's really not that attractive. But it's what we're called to do. And when we pull away from that mission, we get off track and we become about us instead of about him. He says, be faithful to my mission. The last thing, or third thing he says is be faithful to God's word. See, in there he said, it's their job to reveal the mystery 
of God's word, to reveal the mystery of what he's saying. How many people do you talk to outside of the church? And in the process of talking to them from outside the church, how many of them have a a skewed view of what Christians really are or what Christians really are supposed to be? And the reason why they have a skewed view is they just don't understand. Of course, we're not a great example on top of that. But they don't understand that we're supposed to be about love, about joy, about peace, about patience, about gentleness, about self-control. These are the fruits that are supposed to be in our lives. These are the things that are supposed to define us as as Christ followers. And we we have this weird tendency to to not reveal the mysteries of God and, and let them pull a verse here and pull a verse there and say, well, you guys aren't and you guys aren't, instead of just sharing his word and helping reveal it to those who don't understand it. That's what we're supposed to be faithful to. And also, we're supposed to be faithful with God's stuff. See, there's an issue with authority, and there's an issue with accountability, and there's an issue of who's in charge of my life, and who's in charge of this church, and who's in charge of the global church. And we are supposed to be managers, managing our own lives, because it's not ours. I'm not my own. I belong to you and you alone. So I lay me down. That is what we're supposed to do. But once again, it is a struggle. It's a struggle we deal with every day. So we see all of these things take place. We see that we need to have the right view of ourselves. We see we need to have the right view of God. We need to see that we we have the right view of God's servants and the leadership and how we fall into that. But we also, to be united, we need to understand God's judgment. See, the next couple of verses are a little bit difficult, a little bit tricky, uh, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. He says this, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. You know, and, and we see people take this passage out of context and say, Oh, you don't judge me. Only God judges me, which is right to a a part. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring light to things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one of you will receive his commendation from God. What he's saying here is there's a lot of people that are barking at him, a lot of people talking negative things about Paul. A lot of people saying this, and he says, you know what, don't judge me from your own human perspective. Because what ultimately matters is how God sees me, how God sees my heart, how God will reveal what's going to take place at the end. Now, if there's heresy being spoken, if there is, uh, you know, people speaking blasphemy, if there's, if there's uh, you know, false prophets, yes, we're supposed to step up or walk away from that. But he says in this, he's saying, don't judge me. I don't even judge myself because I understand that human judgment doesn't matter nearly as much as judgment from God. And understanding that he is the one who sees my heart. He's saying, guys, you know, I don't care what you think. Tell me what God's telling you. That's what he's saying to me. And we need to be following in that. We need to understand the view of ourselves. We need to, to, to understand who God is. We need to understand who we are in him and, and what we're supposed to do. And even mostly that we understand that he is the ultimate judge of the actions behind our, or the motives and the heart behind our motives. If I had four 
practical suggestions for you as you left. It would be this. See yourself for who you really are. See God for who he really is. Be faithful to him and understand that he really is the ultimate judge and that we live for him and not for everybody else. Now, I, I got to thinking about this this week, and I, I thought, you know, Paragon is made up of, of a good mix of people. There are some people who this is the first church they've ever been to. And there's other people who have come because they, they followed us over from First Baptist Rio Rancho, and it was, a, it was a good leaving. There's other people that have left churches, and it was a painful civil war type leaving. There's some people that, that hang out and they, they sit in the, in the um, you know, in, in kind of in the shadows, just hurt by church. There's people that, that still haven't donned the doors of the church. I was just talking to one of the guys last night after church. He goes, this is an applicable message because my parents haven't been to church in 15 years since they were hurt by a church. And, and that is one of those things that just kind of breaks your heart. And sometimes we think, well, it's us against them or it's Paragon against that church over there, or whatever it might be, but that's not it. It's all of us alongside of God for the rest of the world. That, that is what we're supposed to be doing. That is how we're supposed to be doing it. And I see this passage play itself out, and I think to myself, you know what we need to do? Amber alert. Uh, um, the, uh, the, what we need to do is we need to pray together. We need to, weather alert? Which one? Are you going to fill us in? Okay, I just want to make sure. Good. Um, but the, what we need to do is we need to honestly stop and pray for the churches that we came from. And if this is your first church, the first church you've ever been to, then, then pray for us. But I want to ask you that if you came over with us from First Baptist, let's pray for First Baptist today. And if you came over from Celebration, let's pray for Celebration today. If you came over from Rio West, let's pray for Rio West today. Whatever it might be, wherever you came from, let's pray for those churches that we're not against them, that we are with them, and that we are working together to change Rio Rancho, to change Albuquerque, to change New Mexico, to change the United States, to change the world. That is why we exist. It is all one under Christ. Let's not have the heart of bitterness towards what might have happened. Let's pray for them that God would use them just like he's going to use us. Let's pray right now. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to do that in your seats, all right? You can pray loud. You can pray quietly. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you that we get to be a part of it. And I first and foremost want to apologize when I get caught up in myself and get caught up in my church and get caught up in the, the little details like that, but instead, God, that we can lift up your church, that we can lift you up and say, this is the head, your son, Jesus Christ, who's the one that makes the decisions and we are subordinate to him, that we lay ourselves down, that we lay down our pride, that we lay down our hearts and give them to him. God, I ask for your forgiveness where we failed you and that we can continue to work together and continue to move forward in this way. God, we love you and I, I pray for those who have been hurt by the church, who have been hurt by churches and that civil war battles inside their hearts of who you really are. I pray for them. I pray for those that are in this room, whatever, whatever it might be that we're battling with, 
that may carry into the next, into the next, and the next with the local level and the global level. God, this isn't what you wanted. And I pray that even today, that as we lift up your name, that God, you be glorified. And that people can see you, people outside the church can see you as we are unified together to share the amazing message that your son would come and die for us. But we also want to pause and think about this Amber Alert. Whoever that person might be that's taken the child, whoever the child might be, God, be in that situation and resolve it quickly. Pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front, and I don't know, maybe there's something you're struggling with. Maybe there's something within the church that you're struggling with. Maybe there's something within our church that you're struggling with and want to talk to me about it. I'd be happy to, to sit and talk to you. Uh, maybe you know somebody who is struggling with church, and, and you've invited them a hundred times, and every time they're like, I just do not want to go because the church is full of hypocrites. And I agree. Here's, here's hypocrite number one right here. That doesn't mean we walk away. It means that God's still working on us and changing us. And so um, if there's somebody like that that we need to pray for, let's do that. Or maybe you can pray at your seat for that specific name you're thinking about, that person that, that you are trying to influence, that's trying to, to change their mind about who God is. Like I said, I'll be down here in the front if you want to pray with me. And uh, as we sing this song, Jerome, come forward.